Incoming transmission. The Klingonese word of the day is... Peh. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. They're long and prosperous. And welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast. Imagine with me for a moment, if you will, a level of fandom beyond that which is known to casual trekkers. It is a dimension not only of sight and words, but of mind. It is a middle ground between civilians and savants. It is an area known as your local comic book retailer. You've just crossed over into the comic book zone. And I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. And our guide through the comic book zone today is an Eisner, Harvey, and Hugo-nominated and award-winning editor and story consultant for companies like Marvel, Disney, Lucasfilm, and Amazon. She co-created the character of Gwenpool, and I feel like I'm forgetting something. Oh yeah, she's a group editor with IDW spearheading their Star Trek line, specifically this summer's huge crossover event, Star Trek Day of Blood. Teller of stories? lover of penguins it's heather antos Yay! Hey, <laughs> hi hi thanks for the awesome uh introduction and the muppet hands i mean you know that's, that's... hey no you know... i don't think anyone's ever done muppet hands for me before really oh I, i'm so glad i was able to do that for you <laughs> i've always said everybody deserves to be introed by kermit at least once so i, 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 set... I try the best i can <laughs> you've set the bar for future podcasts just saying. So uh, right off the bat, on a scale of one to two, uh, how frustrated are you with Benedict Cumberbatch's pronunciation of the word penguin? Oh, 3.7. <laughs> and the last thing you might expect to see here is penguins. It's like you'd think the Brits would have a better handle on something like that, right? Well, to be fair, I mean, how many of them have made it to Antarctica? They weren't able to colonize that. That's absolutely true. But, you know, and you know, I, I sent you the link of that Graham Norton interview where it came up. But penguin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> penguin. <laughs> trust me, I had a Laurel and Hardy back and forth with, with my wife trying to describe it to her. <laughs> but it's like he wasn't the only person there. There had to be at least two or three other people there in the booth. Like <laughs> it was like, hey, hey, Ben, you want to take that again? <laughs> Look, no one's perfect. That's true nobody's perfect no and you know perfect. what folks if you're gonna take anything away from this which you probably won't but if you do <laughs> nobody's perfect uh you know what so uh here at the top i'd like to confirm some of your baseball card stats if that's okay, okay. great all right <clears throat> uh where are you from i'm from a small town called niles michigan nice uh where'd you go to school uh uh college or high school either uh so i went to niles high school <laughs> Uh, good choice and, good choice yeah you know that we don't have too many options um and then i went to uh eastern michigan and university followed by university of michigan nice what'd you study theater really nice good theater stuff. and film yeah 
Awesome. Awesome. Uh, how many runs did you score last season? Sadly, I've never played baseball. Listen, uh, Heather, I've been meaning to talk to you about your runs. Um, uh, it's the, the average is a little low. We're going to yeah. need you if you can just, you know, I, listen, I don't want to trade you to Cleveland. Cleveland rocks. That's what <laughs> I heard <laughs> in the theme song. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So um, your first credit I saw, and again, you know, based on the internet. So <laughs> I've done my best based on what I found on the internet. <laughs> um, first credit, Unlawful Good, an anthology of crime. Like, how did that all come together? Because I saw like you're done at school, you spent some time in comic book retail, and then it was like right into the industry. So like, how did that, how did that all yeah. come down? Well, that good job. That is my first comic credit. Um, that is the first comic project I ever did. Yeah, I went to college, studied theater and film literally my entire life since I was a kid. Thought that was the plan until my last semester in school and was like, well, that was fun. I don't want to do that anymore, which is great. It's really, you know, you feel really secure as, as a 20 something uh, going off into adulthood uh, with zero plan. And, you know, all through college, I was really I was really into comics. I did comics retail. I did uh, comics journalism for a lot of places, but I had never considered comics as an actual career until one of my very good friends said, well, you like comics. Why not just do that? <laughs> All right. Sure. Just pick the job off the comic book tree. Right. Um, <laughs> which was, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting question posed to me because how does one get a job in comics? Right. That's a question yes. I get asked all the time. And, you know, growing up in a very small town in Michigan, it wasn't like we had people who worked on Batman or Spider-Man coming to career day. Right. Um, right. So I started, you know, looking at the different career opportunities. There were, obviously I knew of like writer, artist, letter, colorist, all that stuff. And like, I like to write, but I didn't think I wanted to make it a job. I love to draw, but like, oh my God, it seemed like way too much work. Um, and I'm lazy and you're in good company. <laughs> yes. Um, but there was this mysterious credit of the editor that was on every single book that I read and comes to novels or prose, you know, I knew what the editor did. You, you work with the writer on the manuscript, but that's only one person. In comics, you have a giant group of different creatives that are working together monthly, right, oh, to yeah. produce a single issue. And there was something that was just really fascinating about that. And I wanted to learn more about what that job entailed. So I did what every good millennial does. And I started tweeting comic book editors. Of course. <laughs> of course. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> Why not? And, and, you know, this was pre-Twitter being as psychotic as it is now. Oh, yeah. um, but I reached out to any editor I saw in books that I was reading. And at the time, I was a really big fan of the Jerry Duggan, Brian Posehn run on Deadpool. And Jordan White was the editor on that. And so Jordan was... As a comedian, Brian Posehn working on Deadpool. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And Jordan responded and it turned mm. out he was going to be at C2E2 that following month. I was going to be at C2E2 for some of the comics journalism that I was going to do. So he agreed to sit down with me and talk to me about comic editing, what the job is, give me a kind of insider look. So I went to that convention. We talked for about an hour. I left that convention knowing this is it. This is what I want to do. And so I kind of just dove in head first. I lived in the Midwest. I wasn't about to drop everything and move to LA or New York in the hopes that, 
you know, a publisher would pick me up. I wasn't in college anymore, so I couldn't get an internship at any of these publishers. So I just started, I was like, well, I'm going to just make a book, you know, coming from theater and film. I know how to get a group of people together and collaborate on deadlines with budget, you know, show must go on all of that stuff. Oh yeah. I put the call out on Twitter, uh, you know, who'd be interested in participating in an anthology thinking I would get like five submissions maybe. (laughs) And I ended up getting over a hundred and that became unlawful good an anthology of crime. It was like a 218 page 17 short stories, 50 creators from all over the world. So six months after that initial New York Comic Con, mm-hmm. I was at, or Chicago, yeah, it was CT2. So in October, I was at New York Comic Con. Six months later, the Kickstarter for Unlawful Good is running. We had already reached our goal. Um, I ran into Jordan White again. He remembered me, you know, he had been following along. Yeah, I had an ash can of the book and basically it was like, look what I've done since since I last saw you. Yeah. Little did I know he was actually about to hire his own assistant editor um, because he had just gotten promoted. And he had asked me, you know, would you ever be willing to move to New York? And I said, yep. And one month later, I was interviewing for Marvel. And two months later, I moved to New York to work for Marvel. So that's my first credit. (laughs) Jeez, Louise. Kids, listen, if you want to get in get in and just go a hundred miles an hour. That's so great. Like you reached out, someone gave you the advice, you took it and ran with it and, and you busted ass. (laughs) And I'm sure, I'm sure it was not easy. Uh, And, and it, and it, it panned out, man, that's awesome. That's so great. So let's fast forward a little bit because in reading some of the things that you worked on, I just, I just scraped the surface of Gwenpool. Mm -hmm. I mentioned, you know, uh, I really, I really enjoyed, you know, Brian, you know, he's a comedian, I'm a comedian, Uh, you know, we enjoy each other's, uh, well, I'm not going to pretend Brian knows who I am, Um, but, uh, (laughs) but I really enjoyed his work on Deadpool. And, uh, you know, and then you guys had this very unique idea for this because Deadpool was always a very meta character and Gwenpool was meta on top of meta. Like, how did that how did that come to be? And you going from editor to to creator? How was that process yeah. that transition? Yeah, I mean, Gwenpool is the fluke that should have never happened. She shouldn't exist. <laughs> Truly, she really shouldn't. Um, so October of... 2015, I believe, um, a character named Spider Gwen debuted. Oh, yes. Um, and she kind of took off, like, just like wildfire. And so in the coming months, Marvel wanted to do one of their variant cover months in order to um, promote uh, Spider Gwen. And uh, during that summer, we were doing, I think it was Deadpool Secret Secret Wars. And uh, so um, during that month, you know, Marvel was doing Gwen Stacy as Wolverine, Gwen Stacy as Iron Man, Gwen Stacy as Deadpool. Nice. Uh, and Chris Pachalo drew the cover. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's Gwen just like sitting in a pool floaty with some dead bodies that she theoretically had just killed, sipping a, <laughs> sipping a little drink, having a great old, great old time. And it was just surreal what happened um fan art was immediately coming out there were cosplayers like at conventions like something about her design like really resonated Mm. um with with people and um you know marvel liking money (laughs) 
<laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I know, I know. They were like, oh, here's an opportunity. You know, let's let's see what we can do with this. And so they uh, came to, to Jordan and I in the Deadpool office and were like, come up with Gwenpool. Come up with this character. Here's a catch. At the time, uh, Marvel did not own the rights to Deadpool through the X-Men. They were at Fox. And right. Marvel did not have the rights to Spider-Man, Gwen Stacy, through Sony. Okay. And so we had the unique challenge of we have to create a backstory and an origin for a character named Gwen Poole that has nothing to do with either Deadpool or Gwen Stacy. <laughs> so you want to talk meta. I mean, this is as meta as it gets. Yeah, that's not just like a square peg in a round hole. That's right. a square peg and engine block. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, no, for sure. And we had done some previous work with Christopher Hastings on Deadpool Annual. And uh, it was Jordan's idea to reach out to him. And the three of us, like, we just went to a diner in New York City and sat down and, like, pitched ideas back and forth on, like, who is this character? How can we make this work? Like, what makes this interesting? Mm. And we kind of collectively came to, well, Gwen only exists because of the fans. Like, they brought her to life. Smart, yeah. And, like, we really took inspiration from that. Because for those who don't know who Gwenpool is, her backstory is, uh, hypothetically, she is a girl from our world who grew up just a hardcore Marvel fan and one day woke up in the Marvel Universe. It's awesome. And so what's her superpower? She's read every single Marvel comic that has ever existed. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, and she knows how comic book works. She knows Peter Parker can't die. She knows that even if he does die, he's coming back, you know. And and um, <laughs> so we really, really leaned into that. And um, it was super well received. I think Gwenpool was like Gwenpool number one was like the fourth or fourth or fifth highest selling book that month that she debuted and she's a brand new you know she's not a legacy character and she had a 25 issue run plus a holiday special or two holiday specials which is just that doesn't happen yeah (laughs) it doesn't happen in comics you know and so there was something about her that really connected with the fans and it's it's just so cool to have a small part of that yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so, uh, well, congratulations on that. It's such a unique character and really creative way to get out of being painted into a corner, it sounds like, of like, well, we you know, we have all these restrictions. What are we going to do? That's pretty awesome. Uh, so moving right along, uh, now again, it, my facts might be a little fuzzy combined with like, I've taken a lot of shots to the head over the years. So if I get some details incorrect, I do apologize. But I see that you briefly left comics in early 2019 for a, a company called Unicorn. It's like a esports media company. Is that right? Yeah. So um, contrary to popular belief, I, I didn't leave comics. I left Marvel. <laughs> uh, ah, and I okay. know I know some people would like to say Marvel just is comics and there's nothing that exists outside of, of Marvel. Oh, but uh, that's that's not true. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I was at Marvel for three years. Um, I, I left, I had, as I like to say, I had done my time there. I, you know, after I was at Marvel for about a year, I knew that Marvel wasn't a long-term career for me. I really like what they, they do. I love the universe and the characters, but the way that, you know, corporate comics works, yeah, it just, it wasn't for me creatively. I, I, I felt creatively stifled there. 
it's a different machine. It is a different machine. And I love, I love the characters and creators that I worked with, but I feel like the workload those editors have is just insane and asinine and mad respect for those who do it. Not for me. Funnily enough, the same friend who said, you like comics, why don't you do that? had joined this company called Unicorn and he was head of their communications team and they needed someone uh, to come in and be editor-in-chief over their like news and social media and um, I had been looking how to segue out of Marvel and figure out what's next Mm -hmm. and you know I've always been a big fan of video games and different esports I've never like played competitively myself but I enjoy watching you know a lot of the esports competitions and so I left and did that and that was a great avenue for me to kind of really lean in full force on creator-owned comics because I couldn't do that when I was at Marvel Hmm. so that's when I got to start working with like creators like Jordi Belair and Vanessa Del Rey on their first creator-owned book at Image called Redlands I got to work with Declan Shelby on a bunch of his stuff um and I started writing for video game companies during that time. Like I, I got to really spread my wings and branch out a little bit more into what I, what I did. And I, and I would never have been able to do that had I stayed at Marvel. What was the, I mean, you know, because you, you had the, you had the, you had the oomph to get, to, to get in. And then I, I imagine you learned a heck of a lot in those three years at Marvel you know, going with an e, you know, with an esports company like Unicorn, what, um, what strengths or what did you learn at Marvel that translated well from comics to video games? I mean, yeah, doing news is, is storytelling. It's just storytelling with facts. Um, right. If you do it well, yeah. <laughs> if you do it right. Um, it's storytelling with facts. Um, right. You know, and and you still need to engage a reader. Same thing with social media, right? It's really just corporate marketing is is social media. And it's all storytelling. It's all creative storytelling Mm. on insanely tight deadlines. If if a tournament is is this weekend, right? And you get that interview in, you have to write that story and get it out and figure figure out what that hook is like instantaneously. Somehow it's a little bit quicker than comics. But yeah, I mean it's it's really just storytelling. I did sports writing for about a year. Um, just here, just here locally covering, um, uh, I, I had a high school and a college that I was covering and I was sitting in the booth with a couple of other, a couple of other writers. And again, I'm very new and Hey, you know, how you doing? My name is Todd. Yeah, da, da, da. And you know, football game goes, you know, four hours roughly. And, uh, so, you know, we we're wrapping things up and I'm putting things away and they're just furiously just typing, 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 typing. I was like, when's your deadline? They're like 20 minutes ago. And I was like, Oh, oh okay. <laughs> wow. It's yeah. It's, I don't think people, they hear the concept of deadlines, but don't totally grasp like what it is to get something and make sure all your facts are straight in addition to grammar and being able to convey a story uh, to hook your readers and get it in on time. Like it's, it's no small feat. Well, that's, that's the thing. It's, it's, you can be in journalism, like really it's, you can be good or you can be vast, right? Like those are the two. And unfortunately you, you have to sacrifice one for the other um, because checking sources and getting sources takes, takes time um, and to verify that and fact check and, unfortunately as as a consumer we don't give a shit if something's right we just want it to be entertaining and 
<laughs> news should not serve as entertainment, but that's that's for a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a different discussion. <laughs> I'm barely equipped to do this. <laughs> so uh, knowing that, uh, you know, talking about facts and when you're talking about uh, comic books, it kind of translates to the lore. And, you know, a lot of fans treat their chosen lore like the Bible. Um, describe the difference between working in canon at Marvel and working off of canon with Star Trek. Because those those two things are very, you know, you found such a creative avenue to get Gwenpool to life. Mm -hmm. But in terms of Star Trek comics, you know, Star Trek lore is so, it, it almost, I mean, it's quite honestly its own history. But the comics have always been this kind of side street along with the regular canon. What's what's working in those two different canons, those two different lores? What's yeah. that like? Yeah, I mean, look, even with Marvel, everything is canon until it isn't. Oh. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's I, that's Tom Brevoort. But that's that's everything. Star Wars, everything is canon until it isn't. You know, Star Wars retcons itself all the time. Star Trek retcons itself all the time. You know, the the new episodes. I don't want to tell anyone how to be a fan, but I think like trying to like behold something, right? Right to to what we've seen before. It's just it, you know you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. Mm. Look, our own canon and reality is determined by what gets printed in textbooks and we all know that stuff's not not accurate the history that we've learned is not actual canon so uh all of that to say that so long as we are not contradicting ourselves within our own stories like that's mm. really all that that matters to me um you know, I don't get to determine what what counts and what doesn't. That's Paramount. Paramount reviews every single thing that we do. Um, I'm talking with them literally every single day. Wow. So it's it's you know it's a very uh, collaborative thing, and and there there are times where they 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 even like, well, this might have happened in this thing, but in a later thing we did this. So really, you can take whatever you want and and take your pick and and. Um, you know, what better serves the story. And that's my priority is always is what best serves the story. That's what's most important. The idea of retcons, uh, I'm, you know, growing up was a big Batman fan. Still am. Um, Batman's but... been retconned? <laughs> Next you're going to tell me Spider-Man has. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and everybody's like, oh, well, you know, how did Batman get started? I was like, which time? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's, oh man, that's, it's, that's good to know. And it's good to know that you have that good, that Paramount's not oblivious to <laughs> the, the comics yeah. that are being made, that they are involved. Um, I've got, I've actually got a couple questions from a couple fans, if, if Wait. you don't mind. So, uh, Star Trek drag queen Flip Kiki says, I love the Princess Leia series. What are your thoughts on telling such a pivotal character story? Now, here we just talked about lore, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, Princess Leia was such a, uh, was an integral part, but a, a part of a this larger thing. What, uh, how was that bringing her, her character, uh, her story to life? I mean, it was such an honor. One of my first memories is playing Princess Leia on the playground growing up as a kid. You know, she nice. was... She was my first role model, really, you know, the first like badass female character that I wanted to to be like, you know, mm. um, I'll, I'll never forget 
the first time seeing her in A New Hope and basically, you know, all but spitting in Darth Vader's face in that opening scene, right? And then... Oh, man. Right? <laughs> how, uh, how awesome would that have been? Like an alternate take? <laughs> I'm sure there is. In my head, canon, there is. No, Very for sure. Yeah. Right. She totally would. Um, and yeah, like, I, I, I feel like I owe a lot of my tenacity and spirit uh, to Carrie and, and to Princess Leia. So getting to tell a small smidgen of her story along with just Mark Wade and Terry Dodson, who are just powerhouses and comics. Honestly, my first week, literally one of my first tasks as an editor uh, at Marvel was sending Mark Wade notes, which I just, that was such a, like, I'm no, sorry. No you, pressure. You no want pressure me, at all. You want me to what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, Mark's great. But yeah, it's such an honor. Just such, such an honor. Uh, the writer of Con the Musical, Brent Black, would like to know, what's your favorite Trek film? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, it's really hard. We're going to hold you to this, Heather. Because those <laughs> uniforms are just awful. Um, they're so bad. And I never realized how bad they were until I did the, the motion picture comic series that I'm working Mm. on right now. And they're Mm. just the worst uniforms. They're just so bad. Um, I mean, Wrath of Khan is up there. I will have to say it's, it's so iconic. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like the empire, right. The, the, of, of Star Wars, you know, it's, it's the, it's so iconic and it's the one that I think has left the most lasting impression on me. I do need to go back and rewatch the others. It's been a long time, mm. but those uniforms. <laughs> I, yeah, it's, you know, to me, I, I've start as I've gotten older, I'm knocking on the door of 40. And uh, as I've gotten older, I've started watching Wrath of Khan on my birthday, mm-hmm. just because I feel more than ever closer to Kirk, who's just kind of at this point in his life where he's just like, uh, you know <laughs> yeah i was like oh man i feel that but yeah you know you mentioned the star trek the motion picture book that's going on right now echoes and i gotta say i was kind of surprised when that when that was announced i was like really okay all right i mean you know who am i so okay i'm, I'm down let's let's find out how did that all how did that come to be yeah, so when I took over the Star Trek license, um, I really wanted to reach out and expand to other writers who are known for maybe superheroes um, or other corners of comics, but also like really, really love Star Trek. And Mark Guggenheim is one of those. He's such a hardcore original series Star Trek fan, and I didn't have an original series comics of comic in the works. It, it, Aside from year five, IDW hadn't really done any original series comics in in a while. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot seemed to be focusing on the TNG era. And so I wanted to, uh, originally asked for an original series pitch. And Mark was like, well, I really like TNP. Can I do the motion picture? And I was like, that's fine. Again, not thinking about the stupid uniforms. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Pajama uniforms. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So he pitched this series and I loved it and yeah here we are so that that's how is he just he asked he just asked if it could be motion picture and I it was it was a thing for me I'm like well your name does carry something so if it's TMP it won't I don't think it'll hurt sales that much so we can try it and people seemed really excited when we were announcing a motion picture era comic because 
as we know, they haven't gotten much love. So yeah, and the reception's been pretty good. So I can't complain. Yeah, it, like I said, I was a little a little surprised at just kind of like, really? Okay, yeah. all right. Seems like a, a seem, it seems like a unique choice to make, but it, yeah, I mean, seems to be, seems to be working. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, getting into, you know, the Star Trek comics that are currently coming out of IDW right now, the the big thing right around the corner, Day of Blood. Uh, there's been some wonderful uh, articles uh, written on it already, uh, of course, from Star Trek and uh, CBR. For for folks who don't know, what's the elevator pitch? Yeah. Star Trek Day of Blood. Well, Day of Blood is the culmination of everything we've been working towards since since we relaunched with Star Trek uh, number one uh, last October. We've been yeah. following Kalas's genocidal rampage across the galaxies and even brought Benjamin Sisko back from the prophets. So yeah, this is where it all comes to a head. We've been following two different ships, two different crews, Benjamin Sisko leading his crew on the USS Theseus. Worf finally captain, captaining the Defiant, which he stole, by the way, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> with his crew of miscreants. And together, they must work together, despite their differences, to stop Kalas before Kalas uh, really brings havoc on the galaxy with his little cult of, of Klingons. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. So I picked up Star Trek 400. And, um, you know, there's that sort of little teaser in the back for yeah. for Star Trek for Star Trek number one. And you know, I think there's a group shot of, you know, Ben Cisco and the rest of the crew. And looking around, I was seeing some familiar faces and I was just kind of like, oh, 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 this is oh, so we're we're shifting here. This is this is a new, this is a new thing. And I was super pumped for it because here on the show, we do uh if you're familiar with fantasy sports, we actually did a Star Trek fantasy draft. Oh, that's cool. It, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I got uh, three of our regular guests uh, who came on and the four of us just did a big fantasy draft and we got some really interesting, uh, some really interesting crews out of that. Yeah. Uh, but this seems like such a, I mean, I, without without any sort of negative context, it seems like such a fan service thing of just yeah. kind of like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if... And then you guys doubled down yeah. and were like, oh, and what if Worf got the Defiant? And yeah. so a, a buddy of mine, comedian Patrick Cunningham, who's been on the show a couple of times, uh, uh, was the first person to actually tell me about Defiant. I'm, you know, I'm incredibly busy producing the show. He goes, hey, have you heard about this thing called Defiant? I was like, no, what's what's going on? And his pitch to me of Defiant was like, dude, it's X-Force in star trek i was which is that is a spot-on impression of yeah. patrick Cunningham. Right? <laughs> um <laughs> uh but yeah it was just kind of like because you know there's starfleet and there's section 31 who does like the black ops type stuff and then there's defiant which is you know stolen ship folks who are known for being less than honorable or you can, less you can spoil it laura is on the crew Laura's on the crew. Laura's on the crew. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They they broke Rola Ren out of prison. Like that's it's yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, gosh, talk about fan servicey. Like the cover alone, you're just like, oh, I can't. Can I buy more than one of these? This is amazing. So, um, so once Star Trek, once the current 
uh, issue, uh, the current series of Star Trek kicked off not long after that was Defiant, uh, of course, coming out of Star Trek. So uh, what was the what was the process there of like getting Defiant off the ground once Star yeah. Trek was in full swing? Yeah, I mean, Defiant was always the plan when I took over the Star Trek license. I wanted to make Star Trek comics matter in a way that I don't think they have before. Star Trek is the first multiverse. It's been going on for, gosh, like close to 60 years. Yeah, we're Um, coming up on 60. Yeah, and the comics, and not, not to say the previous comics runs were bad or anything. They just served a different purpose. Mm. They felt like lost episodes. They were very much meant for fans who had been following Star Trek outside of the comics. They felt like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, licensed comics. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I wanted to build a line that could only, and and story that could only work in comics and really use the fact that we are telling these stories in comics and using these characters you're never going to see these characters together on a TV show. It's impossible. You can't. Um, This story can only be told in comics. And just like the shows, right? You follow a ship, you follow a Mm. specific crew. We're going to follow our own ship and we're going to follow our own crew. Literally when I talked to Jackson Lanzig and Colin Colleen originally, I asked them, I was like, who's the Avengers of Star Trek? I want that book. (laughs) That's the book I want. And my goal was I want to have two books that exist at the same time and tell different sides of the same point um, Mm. that can build to a traditional crossover event in comics that we've never done. Star Trek has never done that. They've never had multiple books that coexist that can touch on each other. And even in the Echoes book, right? Yes, this takes place, you know, however many years prior in the TMP era, but you're going to see when issues four and five come out that, oh, there's some Easter eggs in there that tie into what's going on in Day of Blood. In this most recent arc of uh, Star Trek, when that took place on DS9, if you're reading our DS9 comic that also came out, yes, they're happening at different times, but there's little touch points. We're referencing each other and the way that Spider-Man exists at the same time as X-Men, as, you know, Avengers, and they'll like touch point and acknowledge that the other books exist at the same time and really taking advantage of the medium that we're in and making it feel big and making it feel important and making it feel like it matters. There's a reason the Rolla Ren issue came out the same time that the Rolla Ren episode happened on Picard. That's planned. That, that was my next question. Yeah, I was like, because because of uh, the involvement of Rola Ren and knowing where Worf is in the third season of Picard. And I was data like, okay. and lore and all of that. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. And, and that's all credit to the folks at Paramount who have given me access to the scripts before the show's air. Um, you know, I've gotten to read all of them and see like, this is where those characters end up. These are where these ser- wow. stories go. How can we connect the dots and fill the gaps um and make it matter that's amazing because i mean that's been gosh you you summed it up so well is the comics that came before you know all respect to the comics that came before but it did they did feel like licensed books and this is the first time ever or certainly the first time in a long time where the comics with the shows has actually they feel more connected and they feel like they matter more and so thank you 
for making that ha- for helping to make yeah. that happen. So knowing that, and we've talked on the show here before about Star Trek and science fiction in general. Um, you know, uh, Star Trek has always been and still is very topical. Uh, and good sci-fi has always been a mirror or cautionary tale uh, of our society. When people are done reading Day of Blood, knowing that there's this cult, these god killers, uh, and you know families turning on each other, and, and all of, all of these things, when folks are re- when folks are done reading Day of Blood, what do you think the conversation will be? You know, what's the takeaway? What's the the lesson? The moral? Star Trek's always been big on that sort of thing. Without giving anything away. (laughs) Don't join a cult. (laughs) Uh, Kids, you heard it here first. Straight from Heather Antos. (laughs) Cults are bad. Uh, Call your dad and and if you if you joined a cult, I think there's there's no 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 but there's there's actually call your dad. You're in a cult. There's there's actually some story spoilery in there. So Mm, Uh, but yeah, don't join a cult. I think that's that's basically it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, as we've we you know here on the show we've kind of there's been very a uh, very few times over the last two years two years and change where you know we've actually discussed anything sort of political on the show but you know it's it's no secret hell they did it in Strange New Worlds where Pike was like hey we almost died and he, they send the video package to that to that planet and the news footage that they're looking at is very recent <laughs> and, uh, you felt everybody just kind of go whoa yeah. <laughs> uh yeah it's you know i i think day of blood in addition to being this huge event and you know this new step uh this this boldly this this bold new step uh in star trek comics i think there is something uh to be said about you know the the bigger lesson here and again folks check it out there's there's stuff all already out there leading up to day of blood um but yeah oh this is this is so great i'm so excited for it um well we're we're getting closer to the end of our time uh heather you want to do a lightning round let's do it all right here we go i am so good at lightning rounds what was your first comic book uh do sunday newspaper comic strips count if so peanuts fair okay who is the funniest person you know me. Oh, we were looking for Todd A. Davis, the host Ooh. of the Computer Resume. Movie. That's okay. That's all right. That's fine. All of this is fine. Uh, who's your captain? Benjamin Sisko. Nice. Who's the best captain? Benjamin Sisko. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm never wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. That's that's an editor for you. <laughs> Do you snore? Uh, I would have to be awake when I'm asleep in order to tell you that. Fair enough. Uh, will there ever be a Star Trek Enterprise one-shot, mini, or ongoing? If I told you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> uh, what's the best TV watching snack? Popcorn. That is correct. Will you endorse my skills on LinkedIn? I don't think we're connected. I just sent you a thing, Heather. Oh, no. I check my LinkedIn like once a year. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right, last question. Uh, so, uh, since you're from Michigan, mm-hmm. on this audio podcast, describe where you're from using your hands. All right, everyone, listen very closely. I'll put my hands next to the microphone. That is correct. Yeah. All right. Good job. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, well, Heather, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for carving out the time to sit with us and go through your life and the career and the industry and the projects and all of these things. Uh, do you have any parting thoughts before we start to wrap things up? If you take away anything from this podcast, do not join a cult, but do pick up Star Trek Day of Blood number one on sale this Wednesday, July 19th at your local comic book shop or online at idwpublishing.com. It will also be available this week at San Diego Comic-Con at the IDW booth. If you happen to be there, we do have an amazing foiled convention exclusive by Angel Nzueta, who is the artist on the bulk of the um the event uh but we also have some other cool variants including my personal favorite uh the daniel warren johnson variant where yes that is a klingon holding a decapitated head on the cover so uh definitely check that out uh check out day of blood and please tell me about it if you do and uh if, if people were to tell you about it where can they find you on the internet they can find me at at heather antos on all of the things or at my website heatherantos.com and I am at Mr. Tade Davis on all of the socials from all of us at the Computer Resume podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in 10 Forward. on Patreon and like, rate, review, and share on all your favorite platforms. Feel free to send us your subspace transmissions to computerresumepodcasts at gmail.com or at computerresume on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The Computer Resume Podcast was created and produced by Mr. Todd A. Davis. Our logo was designed by Will Martin and Justin Bishop. The opening theme was produced by Justin Bishop, and our outro music was provided with permission by Dronode. Additional music was provided by Mr. Todd A. Davis and Gary Horn, and the voice of Computer Resume Podcast and executive producer, me, Kat Davis. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods, and we're going to find a brand new race. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so no, much. No, thank you. That's what, thank you for being a podcast who has your uh, Oh man, that it's that. <laughs> thank. You. I'm glad I'm still recording. <laughs> <laughs> that could be your tag at the end. Yeah. <laughs> How's that for a slice of fried gold?